we are continuing our summer series in a great book of the New Testament called 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul wrote to a church in southern Greece around 55 A.D. in the year of our Lord. Um, and we've arrived at chapter 12 this week, and it's all about spiritual gift and gifts, and that is why the title of it is called, Have You Opened Your Gift Yet? Now, you may notice that I'm holding this bottle of water in my hand, and I'm going to do something that I normally don't do um, unless I'm really thirsty or parched or something like that, but I'm doing this as an illustration today. So I'm going to take this uh, bottle of water, and I'm going to take a drink from it. Ah, it's good. It's refreshing. Uh, I, drink, I drink this and water goes from the bottle. It goes into my mouth. It goes down my throat. The beauty, uh, one of the beauties of the human body is, is when I swallow, I push the liquid up past my windpipe. I don't know if you guys have ever had water go down or some liquid go down the wrong pipe, but boy, that starts a whole coughing fit. And then it goes down into the esophagus and down into my stomach. And depending on whether I have food, it aids in digestion. It gets into the stomach and the small intestine. Eventually, it goes into the bloodstream and it brings nutrient, it helps to bring nutrients to the body. It helps uh, take wastes from the body and all the cells that the body doesn't need. And then it sends it over to a great organ called the kidneys and the kidneys filter. Uh, that water and eventually say, keep the good stuff, throw out the bad stuff, and the kidneys go down uh, in a connection uh, duct down into my bladder. Isn't this getting interesting? And, and, and then, uh, as we all know, once the bladder gets full enough, uh, uh, God has this amazing way of saying, you need to get rid of that liquid because it's no good for you. And so in between the, sur in between the service, uh, you may see me disappear. You'll probably know why. Um, but anyway, that's just one of the organ systems of the body. That's the urinary tract system. And it's, it's very fascinating. That's probably one of the simpler systems of the human body. Did you know the human body has 11 organ systems? And I can't name them all off the top of my head, but I'm thinking like... When you breathe in air, there's your respiratory system. When you breathe in air and we don't even think about it, our hearts are beating and that's our circulatory system, how it gathers in the oxygen and, and joins it with the blood and takes oxygen to our bodies and then takes out the carbon dioxide from our cells that after utilizing energy, it takes the carbon dioxide and sends it back, not through the arteries, but through the veins and it goes back to our heart. And then we breathe out. And somebody says, wow, you need a mint. And, and then they say, uh, but that's part, that's, that's our, the carbon dioxide going out of our bodies. And it's just, a, to me, it's a fascinating thing. It's a wonderfully complex system that the human body has many systems that are incredibly complicated, and yet they all manage to work well together. Um, it's amazing to think that how well all of these organ systems work together and we really, most of the time, we don't even think about it. We don't even have to think about it. It's beautiful. We can free our minds to think about many other things than whether we have to keep our heart beating or whether we have to keep breathing or whether we have to keep blinking our eyes or all the other multitudinous functions that our human body does. It's an amazing apparatus. And in a healthy human body, 
It's amazing how all of the systems work together toward one goal, which is to keep us alive, to keep us healthy, and to keep us doing what we are called and made to do, uh, to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself. Today, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. And this is important to the overall health of every single local church. The, the spiritual gifts are healthy and important for you to know and understand and to put into practice in your life because when each of you and each of us are putting our spiritual gifts to work in our lives, the Bible says the church, the body of Christ is healthy and it grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so if you don't know your spiritual gift yet, my challenge for you, and hopefully today is a way to help you understand it, is to, to be able to discover your spiritual gift and then to put it into use to help build up this local congregation. There are some benefits to knowing your spiritual gift. You know, why is it important that you and I need to learn our spiritual gifts? The Bible talks about spiritual gifts and it says, use the gifts that we have to build up the body of Christ. Number one, why you should know your spiritual gift. Number one, and this is in your bulletin, so if you have your outlines, you want to fill in the blanks. Here's the first one. Knowing your spiritual gift will enable you to find your place of ministry in the local church. It will help you uh, define how God has shaped you, how God has gifted you, and, and where and how you should be using your spiritual gift in a ministry to help build up the local church. So God has a place for you to serve in his church, and your spiritual gifts is one of the path pathways for you to understand how to find that place of service. So it will help you find your place of ministry. And then number two, knowing your spiritual gift will enable you to determine your priorities. Priorities. Priorities can help you understand what you should be doing, and it can also help you understand what you should not be doing. Because I, I don't know if you've ever tried this out, but there are certain people that say, for example, let me take the choir. The choir's having their first practice to get ready for the new season this Thursday at 7 p.m. And some of you may say, I love to sing. I love to give my praise to God. I want to do that with other people. I want to join a choir and do that together. I think it's going to be fun. I'll get to know some people in the choir. There's some great people up here in the choir. And, and it's going to be a great thing. And you get up and you can't carry a tune in a bucket. And when you start singing, it just sounds like an old hound dog howling in the backyard. And you realize, and everybody else around you realize, you know what? You may love to sing, but you don't necessarily have a good voice to be in the choir. So just, you know, try to sing softly in the pew and make your joyful noise. And at least you understand what your priorities are. That is not how God has gifted you. Because that doesn't necessarily, when you sing, it doesn't necessarily build up the body of Christ. <laughs> so there's just one example. You can know your priorities. It'll help you narrow down the places where God has gifted you for you to be able to serve him and his church the best. So let's jump right in to, to the very first verse here in the Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. And I'm going to pause for a moment and pray. 
Father God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be here among us today, that you would bring understanding to our hearts. God, we pray that our focus could be on you and how you have done this amazing job of putting people together in this local congregation, Sebastopol Christian Church, and how you have gifted each one of us to serve you to help build up the body of Christ. So God, I pray that you'll reveal to us how you have gifted us, and you'll help us to discover the places and the priorities where you want us to serve uh, to build us up and to build up the body of Christ. Lord, help us to understand and help us to have this yes in our spirit that when we do discover our gifts, that we will have this impetus that will say, go, go now and use your spiritual gift. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it says now about the gifts of the Spirit. So Paul's making a transition. We're not talking about the Lord's Supper anymore. We're not talking about practices in worship. What we're talking about now is spiritual gifts. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I have a feeling that there were uh, people that were aware of spiritual gifts in the church and they had some misunderstandings about the proper use of spiritual gifts in the church. And that's why Paul is writing, because I think he needs to help straighten them out. I think in the church in Corinth at the time, there were church members there who thought that, uh, that if a person had a certain spiritual gift, that meant that they had extra blessing from God, that they had more spiritual power, they had greater status in the church. If you had a certain spiritual gift, uh, don't want to call anyone out, but just in, you know, in, in, in uh, initials, it's speaking in tongues and, or, or something like that, that if you had that spiritual gift, that meant you had spiritual power and status in the church. These were the sign gifts. These were the gifts that everybody else could see around you. And, and I have a feeling that some of these sign gifts, like maybe speaking in tongues, somebody would watch somebody do that and they would say, wow, that's amazing. I don't know how you do that, how you speak in another language that you don't even know and you've never even studied and never learned. How is that even happening? And people get that wow factor and then um, somebody else could have another spiritual gift that's not a sign gift and they look over and they say, well, I want the wow gift. I want this sign gift. I want, I, you know, I, I want that kind of power and status. And so there came to be you know, some of this competition for certain spiritual gifts and people probably started realizing that they don't not, if they weren't gifted with that spiritual gift that maybe God doesn't love or care about them as much as other people and, and it, they just went down this road that was wrong and Paul says, I've got to straighten you out. I do not want you to be un, uninformed. So Paul says, <coughs> first of all, with spiritual gifts, they're given to each of us by the Holy Spirit. On the day that we were saved, when the Holy Spirit came into our lives, one of the gifts, besides the gift of salvation, besides the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives, He has given us certain spiritual gifts. And so Paul uh, talks about this, and he, and he refers to their pagan life, and he says, I want you to know that if you have the Holy Spirit, you have this gift. And here's, a, here's one of the evidences that you have the Holy Spirit when we get to verses 2 and 3. He says, you know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray, you were swept along and worshiping speechless idols. And so Paul gives this test now to say, you know, you can tell whether somebody really has the Holy Spirit or not. Because remember, Jesus said in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, beware 
of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. They're going out in the world. They look good. They look like they're in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They are not there for your benefit. They are there for their own benefit. They are there for some other reason, not to build up the body of Christ, not to help the church grow and be healthy. They're there for their own selfish ends and purposes. A lot of times when you read the New Testament, you read about the false teachers and prophets, they're there for greed or they're there for sexual immorality. And so Paul says, you need to know who really has the Holy Spirit or not. So he says, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So only the Holy Spirit is the one that confirms and, and reminds us in our heart that Jesus really is Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And so now Paul continues and he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And he's talking about, you remember, we only have one God. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And this one God... Even in the one God, there is a complex unity. Even in the one God, we, we have this doctrine of what we call the Trinity, three in one, one essence of God, one homoousios, as it is in the Greek, one of the same essence, but yet three expressions with Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. And I think there's a little allusion to the Trinity in the next verse when we get to verses four and five. Uh, notice the word spirit and Lord and God. In these, in these passages, he says there's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There's the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's the Lord Jesus. And there are different kinds of working, but all of them, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. So you have the Spirit and you have the Lord Jesus and you have God and they're all at work in different ways and in different kinds of spirits. I think when he talks about different kinds of gifts, Paul, uh, God, Paul says that God has given us different kinds of gifts to remind us that these gifts are graciously given to us by God. They come from God and from no other. When he says different kinds of service, it's to remind us that God gives us these spiritual gifts for the purpose of serving others. In other words, when God gave you a spiritual gift, it was to benefit you, but it wasn't for you to hoard the gift for yourself or just lock it in and say, it's just for me and me alone. And thank you, God, but uh, I'm the only one who benefits. If God gave you a spiritual gift, it was for the benefit of other people. To you, express the gift in service of others. Different kinds of service. And then finally, different kinds of working to remind us that when you employ your spiritual gift, when God said, okay, I've given this gift by God, I found my place to serve, I'm working in the area of my spiritual giftedness to remind us that it's God, the one, God is the one at work in us and through us to build up his church. So God is actually empowering you and gifting you in a special way. So let's go on to verse seven. I, I came up with four different translations. This is why Bible Gateway is so great because you can look up all different translations in the English language of some of these passages. So the NLT, if you look on the right side and you see all these abbreviations, just to remind us, by the way, there's like over 30 good English translations of the Bible that we have now. We have a glut of great information in the church today. We are so blessed. The New Living Translation, the NLT, it says this, a spiritual, give, a spiritual gift is given to each of us 
so we can help each other. You see the purpose of the gift. It's to benefit other people, not just yourself. In the NIV, the New International Version, it says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In the New American Standard Version, it says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then finally, in the Good News Translation, it says the Spirit's presence is shown in some way in each person for the good of all. Now, I want to unpack a little bit of that because uh, it talks about what a spiritual gift is, and then it says it's for the common good. Now, we've already talked about the spiritual gift isn't just for yourself. It's for the benefit of other people. It's to help build up other people in the body of Christ, right? But I also want you to notice Look in verse 7. It says to each one of us. Back it up just to just go to the back. It says a spiritual gift is given to each of us. In verse 7, now to each one. In verse 7 in the New American, to each one. And I'm emphasizing this. And then in the last one, it says in each person. That means every single person got a spiritual gift, at least one of them. And by the way, it doesn't it doesn't uh, specify gender either. It doesn't say, well, hey, only men get certain gifts and only women get these certain other gifts. Sometimes I think when it comes to the gift of mercy uh, and helps and things, certain spiritual guys say, God, you really bless the women with that one. But as far as the gender goes, I don't see any gender limitation on any certain spiritual gift that the Bible says. So let's talk about a spiritual gift. Let me give a basic definition. What is a basic definition of a spiritual gift? There's a great author, uh, used to be a professor. I think he's passed away by now. His name was Peter Wagner. Peter Wagner wrote a great book. In fact, the year that Lisa and I got married in 1984, she was in Cal Poly Pomona. She was taking extra classes, working on her master's. And I would go into the library, and I distinctly remember this. I got this brand new book called Your Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow. And it was written by a Fuller uh, Seminary professor named Peter Wagner. And he came up with this definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to who? To every member of the body of Christ according to God's grace. In other words, you don't get to choose your spiritual gift. And I know there's, there's some of us that were like, you know what, I don't like, whatever, however God has gifted me, if he has gifted me, I don't really like it. I'd rather have this, this other gift over here. I, I wish I could tell you that you could go into the used spiritual gift dealership and just say, hey, I'm going to turn in this spiritual gift and I'm going to get another one. But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. It says, according to God's grace, the Holy Spirit in his sovereign wisdom is the one who decided who gets what spiritual gift. And then he puts us together in a local church. And he says, I've given, uh, I've given spiritual gifts to all these different people. And not everybody has the same spiritual gift. And certainly you don't have the same combination of spiritual gifts and talents. But I put you all together so that when each of you is using that spiritual gift, this church is going to be healthy and growing and flourishing as each of us uses the gift that God wants us to. So that gift that you have is according to God's grace, and it says for use within the context of the body. So you are to use your spiritual gift in the context of the body life of the local church. Here's what Max Lucado says about spiritual gifts. Max Lucado says this, you have an uncommon call to an uncommon life. 
The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. So, so much for the excuse that says, I don't have anything to offer. Did the Apostle Paul say the Spirit is given some of us? Or did he say the Spirit is given a few of us? No, the Spirit is given to each of us a special way of serving others. So enough of this self-deprecating, I can't do anything. God didn't gift me with anything. There's a story, by the way. And by the way, you, you really want to learn your spiritual gift and you want to discover it. And I'm going to I'm going to talk about in just a couple of minutes about how to discover your spiritual gift, but you really do want to discover how God has gifted you because it doesn't really work well in the church when the spiritual gifts are not being employed in the right way. In other words, if everybody is working in a ministry at which they're not gifted, the church is just going to be clunky and it's not going to function right and it's going to be hampered and hindered spiritually. You need to find the right place for your spiritual gift. There's a story of a certain sea captain and his chief engineer. They were having an argument. You can imagine men arguing. Um, But this captain and the engineer were arguing over who, thank you for the delayed reaction. The captain and the engineer were having an argument over which one of them was more important to the operation of the ship. And failing to agree, they resorted to this unique idea, just like Ricky and Lucy did one time in the Isle of Lucy, of changing places. So they were going to change places. So the, key, the sea captain now went down below deck, and he became the chief engineer. And the chief engineer came up on the deck, and he became the captain. And about two hours later, the captain suddenly appeared on deck. He was covered with oil and soot. And he says, chief engineer, he said, wildly waving at him with a monkey wrench. He says, you have to come down here. I can't make her go. And the chief engineer said, it doesn't matter, captain. She ran aground. <laughs> so the point, the point is we need to serve in the area. You need to serve in the area that God has gifted you. Now, how can you tell, here's the next question, how can you tell whether you have a certain spiritual gift? Now, some of you are going to say, I don't even know what the gifts are. We're going to talk about what the gifts are in in a little bit, but how can you tell whether you have a certain spiritual gift? Peter Wagner writes this, a person who finds God's calling through his or her spiritual gifts, when that happens, in other words, when you find a place of service, you'll... um, I think uh, we were in our prayer meeting this morning and Jerry Chapman said a really wise thing. He, I, I said, how are you going to discover your spiritual gift? And Jerry said, you need to get involved in ministry and find out where you're gifted. And I was like, that's the greatest summary. I could have, I mean, five, you know, one minute or less, you could have had Jerry's message. You'd be out of here already, you know, going to get brunch. Now you got to listen to me. But the, po- but the point is, You have to get involved to find out where and specifically how God has gifted you spiritually. So, but if you are serving a certain area, and if if that really is where you are spiritually gifted to serve, you are going to have what Peter Wagner calls the eureka feeling. Eureka, meaning I found it. The eureka feeling is when the person uses his or her gift to build up and strengthen the church, and they say, wow, this right here. This is what I'd rather be doing for God more than anything else on the planet. When you have that feeling, 
you'll know that you found the area of your spiritual giftedness, or at least that's one of the evidences that you found your spiritual giftedness. Now, you see up here on the board, there's three E's. Those are the next three fill-ins in, in the blank. In fact, once you write down these three E words, you're all done for the day as far as writing notes, unless I say something else interesting, which is uh, questionable. Okay, number one. Uh, the first thing it says is examine. How are you going to tell whether you have a certain spiritual gift? Number one, examine your feelings. Examine your feelings. Like I said, the Eureka feeling. Number two, evaluate your effectiveness. Evaluate your effectiveness. If God has given you a certain spiritual gift, then he expects you to use it and accomplish something for him. And if you are... Uh, Working in the area of your spiritual giftedness, you will find that you are having success, that you are uh, uh, flourishing, that you are accomplishing something really good for him. You should expect good results from that particular area of service for God. So you examine your feelings, you evaluate your effectiveness, and then here's number three, and a lot of people never really get to this. In fact, a lot of people don't have the humility to open themselves up and say, okay, tell me how I'm doing. And that's number three, expect confirmation from the rest of the body of Christ. Like, remember that person that went up and said, I just love to sing. I love to praise the Lord. I'm joining the choir. Did they do number three? Did they do number three? Expect confirmation. And I guess I should write in parentheses or maybe non-confirmation from the rest of the body of Christ. Um, for example, if you have the gift of evangelism, people will probably be coming to Christ regularly through your ministry. I remember one year, and by the way, there's a great evangelist pastor in Southern California, has a great church in Riverside called Harvest Christian Fellowship. He preaches at Anaheim Stadium where the, where the angels play, God's team. Well, not this year, but, but maybe back in 2002. Uh, he preaches at Angel Stadium every summer, and he preaches on a weekend. And you always know when the angels are out of town, because that's when the Harvest Crusade comes in. Happens to be preaching there this weekend, Sunday night. It's going to be the Harvest Crusade. Friday night, there were, there were about twenty-five to 30,000 people in Angel Stadium on Friday night, and about 10% of them, in other words, 2,500 people, came forward to accept Christ and to commit themselves to follow him based on the evangelistic preaching of a man named Greg Laurie. Some of you guys maybe have heard of Greg Laurie on the, on the radio or on television. And I remember going one of these years, I was a counselor. They always, they always ask local churches, like in the Billy Graham Crusades, they said, local churches, we want your pastors and leaders to come here and be decision counselors and be on the field to help these people that are coming to faith in Christ for the first time to help them get started in their faith. And so I was one of the decision counselors. I walk out on the field. I said, hey, this is pretty cool. This is where the center fielder does his work. Now it's where Mike Trout, future Hall of Famer, is doing his work. So did you notice I got in about that shameless plug for Mike Trout? Thank you. And anyway, so Greg Laurie, and I'm listening to Greg Laurie, and I'm listening to him share the gospel, and I'm listening to him talk about Jesus and how he died on the cross for us and all this stuff. And, I'm, and honestly, I'm thinking to myself, this isn't very complicated, his message. He's, he's not really wowing the audience. He's not saying something that's just magical. And yet this man gives an invitation and hundreds of people start getting up out of their seats and walking down to the field 
to commit their lives to follow Christ. And all I could say was, God, wow, there's a spiritual gift at work because you've obviously gifted somebody in an incredible way like that. Now, here's another thing about spiritual gifts. They vary in the type of way that God uses them. Somebody, you may have a gift of evangelism, but you hate getting up in front of people. So how is God gifted? We say, well, how can, how, can I, how can I be so shy and hate being up in front of people? I could never do what Greg Laurie does, stand up in front of a thousand, thousands of people and preach the gospel. How could I have the gift of evangelism? Well, maybe God gifted you with the gift of evangelism in a more conversational basis, in a more one-on-one -on -one basis, where you meet somebody down at Coffee Cats, and over the next course of the hour, you're sharing your story about how God changed your life through Jesus and, and brought you eternal life and you're sharing how they can do the same and you're inviting them to follow Christ. And the next thing you know, they're crossing the line of faith and they're becoming a believer just like you are. Maybe your gift of evangelism is more one-on-one. -on -one. So there's different ways that even the same spiritual gift can be used to build up God's kingdom. And I have to believe that for every Greg Laurie out there who's God's gifted to preach to thousands, there's gotta be hundreds of others that are gift to, gifted to talk one-on-one. -on -one to somebody and sharing their faith. So if you have the gift of evangelism, people are gonna to come to Christ through your ministry. If you have the gift of encouragement, people are gonna be helped through your ministry. If you have the gift of healing, then often when you pray for sick people, if you have the spiritual gift of healing, sick people are going to be getting well. If you have the gift of administration, and boy, do we need that in the church today. If you have the gift of administration, the organization of the church is going to run so much better because you are there. Now, I want to give you a living example of someone who I know is really gifted spiritually. I, I know her very well because I've been married to her a long time. And she's going to come up and, and tell us about her spiritual gifts and about how God has been working with her and using her spiritual gifts. So please welcome Lisa Sweeney. Well, first of all, I'm going to start off by being very honest with you. It's part of my gift. Um, I was not Jim's first choice. <laughs> and that's okay. I was his first choice in marriage. Yay! <laughs> but, but not in sharing today with you. But because God is perfect and he knew exactly what Jim was going to preach on and exactly what he wanted you to hear, it is the perfect testimony to go along and to bring truth into what Jim is sharing with you. I want to say something first to start off, and I want you prayerfully to hear this more clearly than you hear about my testimony about finding out what my gifts are, and by the way, kicking and screaming all along the way. I believe with all of my heart, that God's church grows when three things happen. I didn't read this from a book. This is what God told me. Number one, when we are on our knees in prayer. Number two, when we stop grumbling and complaining. And number three, when every one of us is functioning in our God-given giftedness. With all of my heart, I know it to be true. No gift is greater than another. The reason I know it's true is Jim gave you all of the scriptural proof for that very fact. But it is really hard for us as flawed, feeble human beings 
to take that to heart and to get rid of those pieces that we don't like. We think that the best gifts are the ones that are up front. Oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, I wish I could do that. Or maybe we think the best gifts are the artistic gifts, which I have none of. And people argue with me over that, but I know it to be true. I'm a teacher of 34 years and I copy everything. I think I have a beautiful, I know I have a beautiful classroom. I get praised on it on my evaluations. I copy everything. I cannot draw to save my life. And then people will constantly tell me, well, you write and you speak. Yes, I do. And I shake as I do it, as I'm doing right now. And the reason I'm shaking right now is because I am sharing with you my heart. I am sharing the truth, and I take nothing more seriously than that. The word of God is my passion. I knew that from a very young age. When my grandma would sing songs to me, Jesus loves me, this I know. How great that was that April played that on the piano today. Because it's a song every one of us know, and you don't have to theologically figure it out. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. My spiritual gift is the gift of truth, and I don't like it. God knows I would be lying to you if I said that I did. You're like, where are you going to find that? In all of those scriptures Jim just put up there. It's called by a different name, and I don't like it. And if I wasn't married to this man for 34 years, I would probably not. Actually, I would not be functioning in it. Because he believes it's my gift, and he encourages me in it. But every time I utilize it, it's very difficult. Speaking the truth in love is truly my spiritual gift. I don't just have one. I'm grateful for that. You probably don't either, and I hope you know that. Because my two main spiritual gifts work hand in hand. And if it wasn't for my second one, I wouldn't function well in my first one. The gift of prophecy is not fun. You can imagine, nobody wants to invite me over around their dinner table and ask me to exercise my spiritual gift. You don't want to hear it, and I don't either. But because my second main spiritual gift is the gift of encouragement, then I can truly accept my gift of speaking God's truth in love. Now, the reason many people tell me, well, Lisa, you are artistic. You write. You write a blog. Have you ever read my blog? It doesn't tell you what you want to hear. I don't write about what I cooked that week. That's fine. There's great blogs on cooking, and I love to cook, and I read other people's. It's not on my blog. I'm not going to tell you how to dress or what colors to wear or what you should look like or how you should cut your hair. I don't care. I don't care how you cut your hair or what foods you eat or that you love plastic bottles or hate plastic bottles. I really don't care passionately about any of that. My blog is simply what God told me that week to say. And so for years, I was disobedient not to write it. And that is hard to admit, but it's true. And I kept telling God, you cannot seriously want me to write a blog. I'm not a blogger. And he said, no, Lisa, you're not. But if that's an avenue that I'm going to speak to this culture and I've given you the gift of speaking my truth in love, then you have to write it. 
And so, after kicking and screaming for over a year, <clears throat> Jim even paid for my blog site, and I didn't use it for over a year. It came up for renewal, and I knew I was being completely disobedient, and so I said, okay, all right, I'll do it. All right, once a week. Well, I've had so many people, including my own children, who are my greatest encouragers, go, Mom, seriously, once a week? You don't need to write that much. But I do. Because God tells me what he wants me to write. Now, it's not, ooh, ah, God speaks to her. No, I have to work at it. I have to open up his word. <laughs> I have to read it. I have to listen. I have to observe what's happening around my world so that I know that God's saying, take my truth. Here's something they're dealing with and put it together. Speak my truth in love, Lisa, because they're concentrating on things they don't need to concentrate on and it's taking up way too much time. Speaking God's truth in love isn't easy. My want never ask me a question unless they really want the answer. The first thing I know, the first sign I have that my son's struggling with something is he is silent, doesn't talk to me, and he's my communicator. And so I wait and I pray. Because speaking the truth in love is not hurting people. It's not calling them out on their stuff. It's not getting in somebody's face. It's not doing anything but sharing the love and the healing power and the goodness of God's grace and his mercy. And sometimes that means we need to be held accountable. Now, the reason I say I wouldn't be exercising my gift if not married to Jim is because he's the first to call me out on it. And that is a good thing. I trust him. I value him. And I need him. And right behind him are my two children. Jesus had four. In his inner circle, I have three. I actually have four, God himself, but Jesus then would have had five. But using that spiritual gift only comes together in perfection when I get to exercise the gift of encouragement. What happens and how I know I have that gift is I don't go in wanting to use it. I told you I don't like it. Something inside me just starts to bubble and well up. And if it's the Holy Spirit, then I just have to keep asking him and asking him and asking him, and I can't stop but to tell what he's told me to say in love. And it's always in love. Always it has to be. And I don't have my own ability to do that, but God does. And when you're functioning in your giftedness, the two come together beautifully. And the encouragement part is the part that I love. I love to build people up. And it takes people a while to know that I'm sincere, because I am. I believe that God has gifted each and every one of us with a very special talent and a very special gift. And we all need to function in it. And if we're not, then the body will not grow, because it's the way God designed it. The verse from 1 Corinthians says this, 
But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body just as he wanted them to be. We are just not faithful if we're not exercising them. Now, for years and years, I wanted those gifts. I wanted the gifts of those who serve so faithfully and quietly behind the scenes. I begged for those, so much so that I tried to be that. And it never worked. I could be sitting in the back of a room as quiet as anything, and I'd get called up every time, every time, every time. And someone would say, but you can do it. Well, I can't do it. (laughs) But because it's my gift, and if I step out, that's the key. I have to take the step of obedience, and then yes, I am able to do it, but it's all because of him. It's all for his glory. I didn't go to some school to learn to speak. I only went to school to study the word of God, to know what it says, to know his truth, to know his passion, and then to utilize it. You have a very special gift, and all God wants you to do is step out in it, because I will tell you, The people that humble me and I admire are the people sitting back there that are trying to hide. The people who run our slides and do our sound and film our programs. The people who sit in board meetings and do the right things for our church. The people who serve with me in the kitchen to put on women's events until the sweat is literally just dropping off of them. And you would never know they were there unless you walked into the kitchen. All of our gifts are God-given, and they are vital for the growth of the body. When we are on our knees, when we quit grumbling and complaining, and when we function in our giftedness, our church will grow, because it's a we, not an I. I do want you to know, I don't know if it's in your outline or not, but there there are at least four places in the New Testament. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, but there's four places in the New Testament where the spiritual gifts are actually listed. Because some of you are saying this whole, this whole topic of spiritual gifts is great. I want to discover mine and I want to put my gift into service, but I don't know exactly what the gifts are. How do I know what they are and if I even have one of those? You can find lists of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. You can find another list of spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12. You can find another list of spiritual gifts, a short one in Ephesians chapter 4. These are all books in the New Testament. And then finally, in 1 Peter 4, there's at least two gifts that are mentioned. And I want to I go to this one real quick. In 1 Peter 4, I think there's a slide for it. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so with the strength God provides And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God gives you so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So it says if you speak, speak as if the very words of God. If you serve, serve uh, as if you are serving with the strength God gives you. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Two basic categories. Lisa has a speaking gift. My gifts tend to be more speaking as well. Uh, whether you like it or not. So uh, that, that's what it is. So this is where it is. You're, you, one of the categories to, to, to really start to narrow it down is to say, has God gifted me to speak and to share, like teaching, uh, like 
like prophecy, like encouragement, like preaching, like evangelizing, those would be speaking gifts. Other areas would be areas of service, uh, would be service gifts like helps and administration and, and gifts like that. So try to delineate between those two. Um, God gifted each one of us, as Lisa said. He decides who gets the gift, we don't. We accept the way in God and his sovereignty. Lord, this is the way you gifted me. Let me use my gift as best I can to help your church grow and be healthy. Just to wrap it up, the final slide that we have today. It says, you have special unique abilities. Each of you have special unique abilities that God gave you, given to you by the Holy Spirit. On the day that you said yes to following Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life and he gave you these gifts. That's number one. Number two, God gave you these gifts. If, you, if it still hasn't sunk in, here's number two. God gave you these gifts, not just for yourself, but for service in his church. And then finally, your job is to find what gifts God has gifted you with, discover them, experiment with them, evaluate your effectiveness, uh, expect confirmation from the other people in the body of Christ around you, and then use those gifts to serve others so that the church is built up and strengthened. And when that happens, we're going to have a healthy church, we're going to be fully functioning, and we're going to have a bunch of happy, contented, fulfilled people because you are going to have that eureka feeling. You're going to say, God, this is what you made me to do. And I would rather be doing this right here to, to serve you and to build up your church than any other thing on the planet. And when that feeling comes, I just can't wait to rejoice with you. So let's practice all of these things together. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for salvation in Christ the best gift of all is the gift of our salvation. And with that gift comes gifts that your Holy Spirit has distributed to each one of us who love and follow you. Lord, help us to, to discover what our gifts are. Help us to fully utilize our gifts and to practice them and to hone our gifts and get better and better at them so we can be even more effective for you and for your kingdom work. And Lord, we're just reminded that you are a giving God. <laughs> you give so much to us. Uh, Lord, we say in the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Lord, there's no greater gift than we could ever receive than the gift of eternal life. And Lord, I'm reminded of what John said in one of his letters, one of the apostles of Christ, when he said, now this is eternal life. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Lord, if there's anybody here in this room listening or if there's anybody listening online, I pray, Father, they would listen to these words and take them to heart. He who has the Son of God has eternal life. Do you have the Son of God? Have you come to a place where you realize that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he died for you 
on the cross that you can have forgiveness and eternal life if you'll turn your life over and follow him. Are you ready to do that? Lord Jesus, we recognize that you have come and you've poured out your life so that we could have forgiveness and we could have life forever with you. And Lord, right now, we're bowing our heads, we're bowing our hearts, and we're saying, yes, we are becoming your followers today. Lord, we're surrendering our lives to your leadership. Lord, show us the way to go. Show us how to live our lives. Show us how you've gifted us. And Lord, help us to live every day of our lives for you and for your kingdom and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people together said, amen.